This episode is brought to you by HBO's original drama series, Westworld. Westworld is a dark odyssey about the dawn of artificial consciousness and the evolution of sin. Set at the intersection of the near future and the reimagined past, it explores a world in which every human appetite can be indulged. Vanity Fair calls it a rare kind of transporting television, beautifully acted and intricately written for your Emmy consideration and outstanding drama series in all other categories. Nearly all of the primetime Emmy nominees for Netflix's comedy series, Grace and Frankie, are women. And that's something to celebrate at a time when many believe women aren't recognized enough in Hollywood or employed throughout behind the camera. Well, this is the third time that star Lily Tomlin is being recognized by the TV Academy in the comedy lead actress category for the show. She finally shares it with her fellow Grace and Frankie star, Jane Fonda, this year. In addition, Grace and Frankie has been recognized for Alison B. Fanger's costumes a second time, but this year also marks the first Emmy nomination for the show's production designer, Deborah Herbert, whose credits include David Ayer's Harsh Times, Sabotage, and End of Watch movies, as well as the TV series The Riches and the TV pilots for Hung and Revenge. Herbert has been nominated for episode four, The Burglary, and episode five, The Gun, of Grace and Frankie's season three. This is Crew Call. I'm Anthony Delisandro. So you originally studied as a, as a theater director. How did you make your way into production design? I did, it's interesting. So I went to Columbia for grad school in theater directing, and we did not have any designers in our program. And NYU at the same time did not have any directors in their program. So we did these collaborative projects with NYU and we didn't have, they didn't have enough designers to match up with the directors, so they're always asking for a volunteer to design. So I started <coughs> volunteering to design projects. And eventually one of my teachers took me aside and he was like, you know, there's this woman I know, Julie Taymor, and she was, I discovered her, you know, 20 years ago, and you might like her, I think you should meet her. So I met Julie Taymor and I interned for her, and that was back in New York, and I just got enamored with design. So I started, in New York, I used to design and direct. And then when I came out here, I started designing. So, I, wow, I didn't know you worked with Julie. Tell Very me briefly, bit. yeah. Tell me about that. She was doing, a bro I think her first Broadway show, The Green Bird, or it was called either The Green Bird or The Golden Bird, uh, a Commedia dell'arte play. And she was making these big puppets, and I used to make big puppets. Um, and so I went and met her and said, hey, can I intern with you and she used to live in Indonesia and my family lived in Indonesia for six years <laughs> in Indonesia for six years so we wound up having all this stuff in common um, yeah and then what what were some of the th the takeaways from from working with her because she's very she's very or or in very good way very ornate and, and glamorous she, she is a visual storyteller first and foremost I think she also she's a director who comes from design and she tells her stories visually. So I think that even, you know, in any Julie Taymor production, the sound could go out and you could still tell what's going on. So I think what I learned from that as a designer almost is I'm telling a story with design. So if the sound goes off, I mean, of course, <laughs> on a television show or a film, everything is crucial. But for my part, I want you to be able to get a real sense of what's happening and, and also the emotionality of, of, of the show when, by what you're looking at. And then coming out here to Hollywood, was what, what were some of your first big breaks? 
my first big break was my first job in a mailroom at <laughs> Paramount. Um, I came out here just to spend the summer. I wasn't planning on like embarking on a career, and I ran out of money. <clears throat> And so I took a job in a mailroom, and I was in, a, in the mailroom at Lakeshore Entertainment. And then I got my big promotion, like six months later, I became the receptionist. Um, so yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought I wanted to produce when I first came out here. So I started that trajectory, and I worked in development briefly uh, for Mike Newell's old company, Dogstar Entertainment. But I kept sort of designing stuff on the side, like I was having an affair with design at the same time. And I finally, I had a friend who said, you know what, I don't think you're happy with this development thing. You keep designing, you keep designing. Why don't you just meet this friend of mine who's a production designer? So I met her friend, and I wound up quitting my job and becoming a PA in the art department. And I remember my boss said, okay, when I, at Dogstar, <laughs> my boss said, um, he, was, he was like, we were about to give you a bonus, and we're going to give you a bonus anyway. And it was, I think it was $10,000, which was huge for me at the time. Um, he said, we're going to give you your bonus. Go have your summer fling with the art department, and you're going to be back. But I never went back. So I was a PA, and then I was an onset dresser, and then I was a decorator. And it didn't take long. And within about a year, I started designing. You did three films with David Ayer. Mm -hmm. You did Harsh Times, Sabotage. An end of watch. Mm -hmm. How did you? How did? How did the two of you meet? We met through my agent. It, I think Harsh Times was maybe the second movie I ever done. It was a tiny little movie with Christian Bale, um, super down and dirty. We shot part of it in South Central and part of it in Mexico, and it really got me hooked on production design because David, David Ayers nothing if he's not about authenticity. So everything has to be absolutely real. So if you're shooting in South Central, we're not going to take an apartment and make it look like South Central. We're going to go to South Central. We might cast gang members to play it, you know. Um, <clears throat> and so we had the scenes like our lead character falls in love with a woman from a Mexican slum. So we went and shot in a Mexican slum. and. He, he, I think he hired me because he liked me. Also, I spoke Spanish, <laughs> you know. And uh, I remember it was really intense. We drove down to Mexico. We stayed in this little village, you know, where they like slaughtered pigs for us to eat at night. And I'm not kidding. It was really intense. I remember some like production design meetings and strip clubs. And um, I think I was able to sort of hang in there and. He appreciated that, and it was. I also have a real appreciation for the real. I mean, I think that's what brought David and me together artistically, and why we've worked together three times is because, as long as it's real, it has to be real. Then he's happy with the dialogue, with the characters, you know, and and the design. And he cares about the design. He he and he he tends to write about. David tends to write about worlds that he knows really well. So there's no bullshitting him, you know. Like if it's real, it's got to be real. So, and jumping jumping ahead to Grace and Frankie, very different world. Totally from, from the gritty streets of uh, of uh, you know South Central Los Angeles. Um, what what spoke to you in the project? I I mean, continuing a theme, what spoke to me in the project was the characters are so real, and it's true. It's completely opposite to something like Harsh Times or End of Watch. I mean. Those are really down and dirty movies, and what I had been kind of known for was the down and dirty indie movies. Um, 
but what they have in common is how real they are. I read the script for Grace and Frankie, and you know, Marta Kaufman, our showrunner, has written an amazing script. You know, and I, I think what drew me to it was I felt really comfortable, like I recognized the characters right away. Like, um, like <laughs> Grace and Robert are kind of an uptight, waspy couple, and and Frankie and Saul are kind of an eccentric Jewish couple. My dad's a very reserved wasp. My mother's an eccentric Jewish artist. So I felt like I knew the characters, so I felt like I could speak to them authentically. Um, and I think that's why I think the characters really resonated with me, and I was able to speak, speak to them in a real way, which I think is why I got the job. Because certainly I hadn't done anything before. I'd never done a comedy and had done had done very little that was aspirational visually the way Grace and Frankie is before that show. What really stood out to me was like in Grace's Beach House, the colors are very very vibrant, blues and yellows, and then they wear paisleys and sometimes there's a paisley mm -hmm. bed, you know, there's there's a paisley bedspread. And then the gentlemen, uh, Robert and Saul, which I know you built their house for season three, and we'll talk about that in a bit, their colors are more earth tone, more, more browns, reds. Um, and I was wondering if you could, you know, you could um, discuss your palette. Sure. Well, so the beach house is on the beach. And one, you know, we, we built that house on a soundstage. So we're not really on the beach, obviously. And one thing we really wanted to do was evoke the beach. We wanted to feel the sea air coming through the wind, you know, and, um, we wanted to feel the sea air blowing through the house and feel like you're really at the beach. So that was one of the key things about the palette is it's a beach palette. It's creams, it's blues, it's, you know, and, and, and beachy colors. Also, Grace and Frankie are starting a new life together. And um, we wanted it to feel fresh and light, like there's fresh air coming in, like there's renewal is gonna happen in this place for them. So that, the palette was really largely about that. And then it's interesting that you mentioned pattern because within the beach house, we have, I mean, the show is really an odd couple show. Grace and Frankie is kind of uptight. Grace is kind of uptight. Frankie is like a wacky eccentric artist and they're thrown together. So in order to enhance the comedy of the show, we, I wanted to create two very different aesthetics for the two of them and show them really bumping up against each other in the house. So while what I imagined was that Grace probably decorated the beach house and everything is just so, nothing is out of place, everything is perfect, everything is beautiful, could be a magazine spread, and then Frankie blows in with her incense and her Indonesian art and smoking pot and really messy and, you know, and disrupts everything. And so it's really disruptive and it's really funny at the same time. So what we did was we created the main area of the beach house almost as it began as really Grace's zone. And then Frankie had her art studio and the art studio is, the architecture is the same in the art studio as it is in the beach house. It's kind of a Cape Cod, clabbered style house. But within that, it's a, you know, it's a huge, hopefully huge, beautiful mess. You know, there's penis pottery and vagina prints and wind chimes and, it's just her crazy, wonderful brain 
all over the place in that studio. And then you take that same energy and that same aesthetic full of pattern and bring it into the serenity of the beach house. And, and it's a very disruptive force, but a good disruptive force because what winds up happening is that they both grow out of this experience of, of bringing their lives together. This episode is brought to you by HBO's original limited series, The Night Of, which delves into the intricate story of a fictitious murder case in New York City, examining the police investigation, the criminal justice system, and the purgatory of Rikers Island, where the accused waits his trial. The Washington Post raves, John Turturro and Riz Ahmed shine for your Emmy consideration and outstanding limited series and all other categories. And then Robert and Soul's house, um, mm -hmm. Spanish colonial, you literally, the tile is from Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then you, what, they're, they're also similar, are they also similar souls in, in Grace and Frankie with one's looser, they're a little looser than the other? They're an odd couple too, yeah. I mean, they're an odd couple in a different way. Um, Robert is more of a traditionalist and Saul is more eccentric for sure. Um, so yeah, so we took a tradition, but before I go into that, I would say, but what, what they have is a real warmth about their relationship and Robert and Grace's marriage was really cold. And in season one and two, Robert and Grace's house was beautiful but a little bit sterile I mean it was cold the, the the colors are cold there weren't any patterns so it was very keeping up with the Joneses but not that comfortable to be in so as a contrast to that the idea was Robert and Saul are free to be themselves really themselves for the first time in their lives in their 70s so we want this house to be warm and inviting and to evoke the freedom that they're experiencing for the first time in their lives. So that's what the, the colors and the patterns and the richness and the warmth is all about that, the freedom and warmth that they're, that they're having. Um, within that, we, they are an odd couple as well, but whereas in the beach house, we constantly show Grace and Frankie's aesthetics bumping up, bumping up against each other and contrasting to to create comedy. Robert and Saul are also opposites in some ways, but I feel like their house, we wanted everything to blend together more seamlessly. So we want to see the influence of both of the characters, but they're not rubbing up against each other. They're having a harmonious existence together for the most part. I feel like I could keep my shoes on in Robert and Saul's house, but I have to take them off <laughs> in Gracie's beach house. There's just a comfort. There's exactly. just a real yeah. kind of like, just drop down on the couch yeah. in Robert and Saul's house. The door always fascinates me. It's got such a wonder, the wooden door to their house. It's got such a wonderful design. Can you, can you comment on that? Yeah, um, my first comment is that our construction coordinator and our painter, Dave DeGaetano and Lee Ross are amazing. Um, we handmade every door in that house and they did an amazing job. I'm so glad that you see that, that you noticed the door. Um, we felt like that Robert and Saul are, ha are living their authentic lives for the first time. So in that sense, I wanted everything in the house to be authentic and real. So nothing, no fake tile, no real wood floor, not painted wood floor, real 
every piece of tile that you see in the house is real tile. Um, every door and window we built ourselves with non-traditional proportions so that everything represents a personal choice. And you know, I think when you walk into the house, you feel it. You may not notice that the doors are taller and thinner than average. You may not notice, you know, that the that every door is handmade. But I think as an overall effect, each it feels like there are a lot of individual choices there and and that that reflects these two characters who get to make all these choices for the first time in their lives. And, uh, and that's what we hope comes across. And that was your biggest challenge, right? Building this house this season from like, from Yeah, that was one. the big, yeah, the, for season one and two, right up at the front of the, at the beginning of the show, we built um, Robert and Grace's house and the beach house. And then we hadn't had a really big new permanent set until season three. So this was the big new set and it's, I have to say it's been really great working with Skydance and Netflix because on a traditional, working with a traditional network, I don't think we would have had the time and the support. I mean, you, you mentioned that the tiles on the kitchen floor are from Nicaragua, and they are, and they took weeks and weeks and weeks to order. <laughs> and we had a lot more time than you are ordinarily given to design a house, and that's why we were able to put that level of detail into it. So. Will you do, you, do you foresee, and I understand if you can't say anything, but do you think season four will bring another, another great um, project? I can say that um, we just finished season four, and I can say that uh, season four is bringing some major changes visually to the show and in the design, uh, but not in the way that you might expect. So stay tuned. The, the other thing before we close out that I want to talk to you about is uh, what's great is that um, most of the nominees of, of the four nominees for this show are all women. Mm -hmm. I know th there you have two other people on your team. Let's 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 give a shout out to them. Absolutely. Actually, I'm going to Christopher Carlson is our amazing decorator who's responsible for the decor of the new house. Um, ben Edelberg was the art director, but I also want to give a shout out to Michael Krantz who was the art director in season two when we spent most of our time designing that house. So, um, team of four. And, and can I give you one, can I give one more yes, shout out? Yes, absolutely. I know you were talking about the sex toy, or sex yes. toys earlier. Yes. And I worked in collaboration with our amazing prop master, Emily Ferry. She designed that vibrator and she was the first woman prop master ever in, in the United States, in the union. So. Um, and I didn't realize that prop, prop masters in, are not a category in the Emmys. They don't get included in the art department, so oh, wow. which I think they should. So shout out to, to the to prop masters of the world. Well, let, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about that for a minute. The the sex toys. What was the? That had to be a very funny uh, <laughs> kind of implementation. <clears throat> this. This season. That was awesome. Um, can I give you a little bit of back, what I think sure. is some backstory? Sure. So I had never done a comedy before, and I got the call to do Grace and Frankie. And I went and I prepared and I prepared and I had an interview and I thought it went really well and there's a whole bunch of people in the meeting. And then after the interview, I got a phone call that they wanted, they wanted me to come in for another interview. And I said, okay, that's great. And I made it to the call back. And then I got a call from the producer who I had never met. And this was one of the strangest calls I've ever gotten. He's like, oh, hi. Um, so everybody really liked you. 
and you had great ideas, um, but people are worried that you're not funny enough. So when you come back, can you just be really funny? <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I felt like, oh my God, that's the light. Like, ah, what am yeah, I going to yeah, do? Yeah. Um, so Break out into I your tore, Jack Benny exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I went home and I tore all my hair out. And then I went, well, I don't know if I can be funny, but I can come up with funny ideas. And one of the ideas I brought, um, and I promise this leads into the sex toy thing, is that my mom, is, who I mentioned is kind of an eccentric artist, used to make vagina prints in the 70s and vagina sculpture. So it was like people would come to the house and be greeted like in our foyer with big vagina, <laughs> vagina sculptures. And I thought that's really hilarious. You know, Frankie has very, you know, a very strange sense of boundaries in her art and in her personal relationships. So I thought it would be really funny if, as an artist, she made sexual art. So I came came up with the idea of making vagina sculptures and vagina prints and the penis pottery. Um, so I had some ideas for penis pottery that I brought to the meeting, and everybody laughed really hard. I think I got the job from the penis pottery, frankly. Um, but people, it was a big hit. And so this whole theme, along with Marta's, one, one thing I think was so brilliant about Marta's idea is something that's never discussed is sexuality in seniors. So that's a big part of our show. It's like, it, it, and so what we, we started off with the penis pottery in season one, and then Marta wrote in this amazing idea for yam lube in season two, which then became the vibrators in season three. Um, so that, it's been a really fun trajectory watching that develop. So when you guys were nominated, I understand it was a really special moment on the set. I was wondering if you could talk you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we were filming an episode. We were filming, and we were all there. Um, Jane and Lily and Alice and I all happened to be on set, and I didn't know like what that the nominations were coming out right then. And somebody on set just went, "Oh my God, Jane and Lily both got nominated," which is a huge, wonderful deal because. Lily got nominated once before, and she's amazing, of course. We really, we really all wanted for them both to be nominated. So a huge cheer went up that they both got nominated. And then like, pause, pause, and then someone went, and Deborah and Allison, and we went, oh my god. So it was, it was a huge thrill. My first Emmy nomination. Um, and to be able to share a champagne toast with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and Marty Kaufman has been a career high. No doubt about it. Deborah Herbert, Emmy-nominated production designer, her first Emmy nomination for Netflix's Grace and Frankie here on Crew Call. <laughs>